Good afternoon. I'm glad we are covering this series um, about the Prodigal God series. Um, next slide. We'll give you an overview. <clears throat> Last week, Pastor Kokfai started us off by looking at one lost son. This week, I'll be covering the other lost son. Uh, last week was the youngest son that ran away. This week, we are talking about the eldest son who stayed. And next week, Pastor Kokfai will end it off by the true eldest son, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the son who sacrificed for us all. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful um, parable. Yeah. How many of you have read the parables, this parable for at least uh, five times? I'm sure you have read this at least five times, okay? Uh, some of you more than five times. And it's, a, it's an interesting parable. When I, when I first encountered this um, parable, that was way back about 30 years ago. I have not known the Lord, I believe, at that time, or just beginning to know the Lord. And it, I was drawn by this parable because it's a good story about God's love. And then later on, uh, I continued to read. And then at 15 years ago, there was a song. Pastor Kokfai played that song, When God Ran. Remember the song, When God Ran? And that song draws me to the Heavenly Father's heart. It talks about God running towards us. And then six years ago, I began to read this book by Henry Nguyen. Henry Nguyen is a Catholic author. He had passed away. He wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And then from that book, I, I began to identify myself partly with the younger son, some of the aspects of my life that have been uh, struggling. And I'm also drawn towards the father, towards the father, towards the father. And then two months ago, at men's weekend, we meditate upon this psalms again, uh, this psalms, this par a parable, parable, and then I'm greatly warmed by the Father's love because the theme of the, of the retreat is called Becoming Like the Father. And last month, I read the book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. That's when we got this series. Again, I'm convicted by the attitude that I have uh, of the elder son, judgmental spirit. So this particular parable is very rich. You see this picture here? Uh, it's drawn by Rembrandt. It's now, I think, it's in St. Petersburg and in Russia in the museum there. Henry Newman, who wrote the book, the, the Return of the Prodigal Son, he was so captivated by this drawing. He spent three hours one day just sitting beside this drawing, face painting, and then looking at the details and meditating on it uh, with the understanding of this particular parable. And he was so captivated by it, he returned the second day and he spent another four hours. And out of that meditation, he wrote this book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. I encourage you, if you have not read this book, please go and read this classic. It is a beautiful book. It's beautiful. But why is it, why is it uh, uh, this parable is so attractive? Because at different seasons of our life, we can identify with ourselves with different characters. And my prayer that today, these seasons will be another time where you can revisit this parable again. And if you are new, because you are um, maybe first time here, I hope that this parable will be very meaningful to you. So right now, I'm going to read this parable again. And as I read, I hope that you will ask the Lord to give you a fresh insight. Turn to your Bible, to Luke chapter 15. I'll be reading from NIV, New International Version. If you have that version, please uh, 
look at the version so that you can follow along. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 2, and then I will jump to verse 11 to 32. Okay? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of the hired men. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was lost and is found. Most people, when they read this particular parable, um, they, they, are, they, are con they are concentrating a lot on the youngest son. It's a beautiful story, a sound homecoming. But if you look at this parable, there are three main characters. The youngest son, there were nine verses attributed to it. The eldest son, six verses. And then the father, six verses. But the father appeared on two scenes. 
And it's important to look at the context. The context is in verse 1 and 2. Jesus was addressing the murmuring, the complaint. The complaint of who? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Why? Because he noticed that Jesus was welcoming the sinners and tax collectors. Who are these Pharisees and teachers of the law? It's important to understand these people so that we get the, the whole of this particular parable. Can you remember when I was teaching the book of Ezra? Why would the people of God be exiled or dispersed all over the land? Why? Because they were unfaithful to God, they worship other gods, and they pursue other gods. So God judged them. And the judgment was so severe, they learned the lesson so well, they say, never again I will depart from the law of God. I'm going to be faithful. And outcome of this desire to be faithful came this group of religious teachers called the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They tell themselves, they tell themselves, no, we are not going to de depart from God's law. So they out, this is the law of God, they create another set of law just in case I break only the first one, at least I don't break the second one. And they are the Pharisees. But they went to the extreme that they become very strict and very judgmental. So when Jesus Christ came, they were so threatened. They were so threatened. So these are the parables. Jesus Christ was addressing this group of people there. And who are the tax collectors? They are so-called the betrayals. The Roman Empire were conquering the Jewish land. And they were the conquered land. And these people were fellow Jews who helped collect money for the Roman Empire. So they are like the running dogs or the betrayal. So they are overtly people who are, have done wrong. Just like the sinners. Who are the sinners? The thieves, the adulterers, the lepers. Outwardly, straight away you know these are people who are no good. So back of their questions, their mind, they are asking, how can you, being a holy man, eat and accept such sinners? Aren't you afraid of contaminations? Aren't you afraid that you will send a wrong signal affirming their wrongdoings by eating with them? Are you telling other people that their action is okay? Aren't you afraid that you will stumble others who are trying to follow you? So back of their mind, they were asking these questions. So to address this question, Jesus told them three parables. The first one, the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd, who have, he left 99 sheep to go after one. 99 to look for one lost sheep. The second parable, the parable of the lost coin. The numbers reduce. Ten coins. Out of the ten coins, he left the ten, ten coins, he lost one. But come to the third parable, very interestingly. Talk, the number reduced further to two sons. How many sons were lost? How many sons were lost? Not one, two. Both sons were lost. Both sons were lost. The first son, no, the, the youngest son, the first part of the story, is easy to see that why he was lost. It's the second one, then you begin to query, why is the second one lost? Interesting. Today I'm going to cover about what is lostness. And then secondly, I'm going to talk about what are the signs of lostness. And thirdly, how are we going to do about your situation if you belong to this category of lostness? The first one will be what is lost. What is lost? If you look at the Bible, at the beginning, at the book of Genesis, 
Adam and Eve, they were lost. They sinned against God. Why? They eat the forbidden food. But what's the motivation behind eating the forbidden food? They want to be like God, to be in control. Lostness or sin is defined as a person who wants to be in control of their own destiny. They refuse to be controlled by God. They want to be their own God. They want to be their boss. So that's the definitions of lostness. Now look at this parable again. Who is lost? Let's look at the elder son. He knew that the father was there waiting for the younger son to come back. He knew about that. No question about that. And when he heard that the father is celebrating because the son is back, he refused to join in. He refused to join in. What does that mean? That's a very, very rude thing to do. He refused to join in. He refused to be part of this family. And he, as a result, he disrespected the father's headship. And the story ends there. When the story ends there, Jesus Christ is communicating a story, a message here. Subtly, the lost, the, the older brother is equally lost like the younger brother because he was addressing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Why is the older brother lost? The younger brother is easy to see. He wanted, the younger brother wanted the father's wealth, but not the father. How does he do it? He claimed his inheritance early. He left home. He became rebellious. Evidently, at the end, the eldest brother, the elder brother too, wanted the selfish control of the father's wealth and not the father. Why? Because he was unhappy about the way the father was dealing with his possessions, the rope, the, the ring, the cuff. While the younger brother lost a uh, one to get control by running away, the older brother tried to get control by staying at home and being very good. He felt that if I follow the father, I have the right to tell the father what to do. The hearts of both brothers were the same. Were the same. In what way they were, were they the same? They resented the father's authority and sought to get out of it. One chose to rebel by being very bad. The other one chose to rebel by being very good. Both were alienated from the father's heart. Both want the father's things, but not the father. That's a shocking message sometimes. That careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy to rebel against God. Because they all, both were obeying the father or disobeying the father for their own sake. They want to be in control. So both were lost. Both were lost. Next, we're going to look at the signs of lostness. Let's go to the specific signs of lostness. Why? So that we can identify, so that we can know whether do we belong to this category. Why doesn't the elder son go in? What were his reasons? Okay, before I go into the specific details, who needs to know this today? You might be familiar to this parable. You might be the first time. Who needs to know this? The first group of people I want to address Perhaps today you are the elder brother. In other words, you have been to this church. Maybe your parents bring you here. You have been to this church. And you, you realize that hey, maybe I'm good enough. I don't need God. I don't need a savior. I'm good enough. I come here maybe because my friends ask me to be here. My parents or my relatives ask me to be here. 
But today, I want you to be open. Maybe you are not there yet. You could be lost. You are not home yet. This message could be for you. Or maybe today, a second category of people. You have come to know the Lord. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You become a Christian. Maybe you were once the younger son. You rebel against God. Or maybe once you were the elder son, you don't need God. Then finally, you're convicted you need God. And you grew up in this church and you have known the Lord and you have seen your life change for the better. And you have developed certain good religious habits or routines. And then you feel that, hey, I'm not bad. Huh? Okay, la, big sins I don't commit, but small one, little bit, I can overlook. But I'm not bad. Not bad. But then you have switched to the mode of like the elder brother. It's interesting at the recent men's weekend, we asked ourselves, how many of you identify with the younger, older brother? Most do. Most do. Why? Because at that particular retreat, everybody goes seeking to know and to know God. They were serious about God. And they were very open. And God helped us to realize that, hey, maybe you have this elder brother attitude. And today, as I share with you, I belong to this category too, as I read, that I have grown up settled down, I've been a Christian more than 30 years and maybe I have this older brother attitude that God wants me to repent. I do not know the father's heart. So either you are the older brother or the older brother's attitude. Then the third category of people who needs to know this, perhaps you are the youngest son. You have stayed away from church or you, you grew up in this church. You have observed some of the hypocrisy of the older son people around you, they say one thing but they behave and then you say that ah, Christianity is just a fake it's just another religion I hope that today please be open to the possibility of the gospel that is very different from religion very different from religions and I hope that today as we look at this we will ask the Lord to speak to you and these signs that I will, I'll be sharing with you comes not just from this parable but also from the behaviors and the attitude of the Pharisees as you read in the, in the gospel, because Jesus Christ is addressing them. First, first sign, there is this deep anger. Deep anger. Not outside, but deep inside there. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Refused to go in. Why was he angry? Most of the time you ask yourself, why are you angry? I could think of two reasons. Number one, your rights has been violated. Okay? Your rights have been violated. Number two, your expectation is not met. If your rights have been violated, expectation not met, you get angry. What did the son, older son feel his rights been violated? He feels that he has the right to tell the father what to do with the money, what to do with the ring, what to do with the fattened calf. He has the right. What gives him the right? He feels that he has obeyed enough. He has the moral right. But sometimes, elder brother forget that the Lord Jesus Christ, um, no, sometimes you forget that, sorry, sometimes you forget that this right may not be yours. May not be yours. And sometimes, elder brothers feel that God owned them a comfortable life. If I live a pretty moral life, God, you should bless me. 
God, you should bless me. And if wrong things happen in our life, things don't go right in, your li- in our life, what will happen? We feel that, hey, we have the right to be angry with God. You don't deserve this good look, God. I work so hard to be a decent person. Why things happen? If you feel that your life, you don't meet up to God's standard and bad things happen, how do the elder brothers, will, those who have attitude, they'll respond. They will beat themselves out. They will say that, oh, God is torturing me. God is judging me because I don't meet up to the rules. And if you are not sure, then sometimes you sway between angry with God or you're angry with yourself. You feel that, no, things are not okay because it is more result-oriented. I obey to get something. I obey to get something. There's a story been told in the book, um, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. I want to share with you Jesus and the disciples. So he led them on the journey. journey. At noon time, Jesus said, Everybody sit down. And Jesus waved his hand, said a prayer. Ta-da! All the stone became bread, according to the size of the stone. So everybody enjoyed their lunch except Peter because his was very small. In a few seconds, his lunch was over. After lunch, Jesus made them stand up. And Jesus said, I would like you to carry a stone for me. This time Peter said, Aha, stone equal bread. So he looked for a big one, huge one. He put it on his back. He could have hardly stand, but he tried. He said, I can't wait for dinner. It was painful. He walked, 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 and Jesus said, Follow me. So they walked in the journey. At about dinner time, Jesus led them to a river. And Jesus said, Now everybody throw the stone into the water. <laughs> boom, boom, everyone throw the stone. And he said, follow me. And he walked, he didn't walk. So Peter and the disciples, they were dumbfounded. He said, hey, Jesus, uh, no dinner? <laughs> what happened to my dinner? Jesus sighed and Jesus asked them these questions. Don't you remember what I asked you to do? Who were you carrying the stone for? Who were you carrying the stone for? Peter was carrying the stone for himself. Not Therefore, God, you must bless me. If God don't bless me, I get angry. I get angry. I I get depressed. I have the right to tell God who to forgive. I have the right to tell God who to accept. Why? Because I'm not bad. I've been good. And I notice some of these characteristics even in my life. There's this subtle, deep anger. So that's one sign. The second sign, there's this joyless and fear-based kind of uh, obedience. Look, listen to what the older son say. Look, 
Okay, when a son, when the father tells the son, look, that's one thing. But when the son tells the father, look, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. That's a very rude response. All these years, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your, order, your orders. The elder sons find obedience virtually a joyless, mechanical, slavish thing to do. He boasts about his obedience to the father, but underlying the motivations slip up. These words, all these years I've been slaving for you. His obedience was more like out of a duty. There was no joy, no love, no reward of just seeing the father being pleased. He used the word slaving. Strong overtones of being forced, being pushed. A slave worked out of fear. Fear of the consequences by force. That's when the root problem is. It's, he served not out of the joy and love of the father, but served out of the fear of the father. And that is why, if you ask an elder brother, if you look at the elder brother's prayer, Sometimes there's this joyless prayer. It's just merely a duty. Does the elder brother pray? Of course. He prays. Does the brother come to church? Of course. He comes to church. Does the elder brother read the Bible? Of course he read the Bible. But a lot of these motivations out of that duty, many times not out of that joy. There's no intimacy with the Father. There's no intimacy. There's little wonder or awe about God. Little delight, sense. Might be praying. But then there's no spontaneity. Maybe it's time for us to evaluate our own life. I, I look at my life, sometimes there were periods of time where my time with God seems more like a drudgery. I do pray, I do spend time with God, I do come for worship, I do serve God, but it's more out of that duty. And I forget that, is that, that particular love that can motivate us I have gone into this joyless obedience mode. I do good to bless others more as a duty rather than out of that love. That's its a bro elder brother's kind of attitude. So first, anger. Second, there was this lack of joy. Thirdly, there is this lack of assurance of the father's love. He said, he tell the father, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The older brothers were saying, you never threw me a party. Is it true? Is it true? I don't believe it, it is true because the father said, everything I have is yours. It was a perception. Maybe he dare not. Maybe he did not ask for that. As long as we try to earn God's favour by controlling God through our goodness, we will never be sure that you are good enough for God. You're simply not sure that God just loves and delights in you. It can sound, sound uh, foreign. What are some indicators to show that this elder brother, lack of the assurance of the father's love? First, there's this, when something wrong happened, as I mentioned, blame, blame the father. Or when there is a, a guilt done something wrong, you begin on repenting, 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 and not sure whether have you repented enough? Have God forgiven enough? Do I need to cry some more? Do I need to pay penance? Do I need to do some more good in order for God to forgive me? Or when people criticize our life, you go into deep despair. The root problem of all this 
lack of assurance in the Father's love, insecure in the Father's love. The relationship with the Father is pretty formal, pretty formal. And finally, the sign is an unforgiving, judgmental spirit. Verse 30, he said, But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. There is this unforgiveness. He don't even say, when my brother. He said, these sons of yours. Okay? When Karen and I, when we have this agreement about Ian, or we don't, certain things, we all say, hey, your son, uh, can you please settle it? Correct? Your son, uh, can you settle it? It's not my son, uh, it's your son. So not my brother, it's your son. He refused to forgive the, the brother. Why? Because he doesn't want the father to forgive the, the brother. He felt that the brother have shamed the family, have diminished the wealth. Because the father's wealth belonged to both sons, there are two, divided half, and now he returns, means the other half you need to be shared. Now he only got one quarter. So how can you forgive? How can you forgive? And those with the elder son have this judgmental spirit, feeling superior. Hey, I have, I am better. I have done certain things. But this guy, he lie, he cheat. He don't pray to God. He don't do his quiet time. I'm the first one to be at church. He don't come. He don't serve. And worse still, it tends to compare with what he has done right to what other people. His strength, he compares with people's weaknesses. And when he has weaknesses in his life, he tends to give exceptions. It's like, it's like sometimes I, I see that in myself. I, I, I tell Karen, sometimes I complain to her, these people, they're always late at church, always late at this meeting, always late at that meeting. And then she turns to, then sometimes I'm late, and Karen come to me and say, that, hey, you tell people to be early, but how come you can be late? Oh, mine is different. Why? I've been early all this while. This is only one time. Moreover, I got good reason. Therefore, I have good reason to be late. I can have exceptions. And that's the elder brother kind of thing. We give exception to ourselves. Correct? When we judge other people, oh, no exceptions. But when we judge ourselves, a lot of exceptions. And, and this unforgiving, judgmental spirit begins to come up. And that's the sign of being an elder brother. Deep-seated anger. No joy. Not secure in the Father's love. Don't have the intimacy. And lastly, there's this judgmental, unforgiving spirit. But we don't have to get stuck like the elder brother. He was with the Father, but yet far away from the Father. And today, we don't have to be with, near, uh, with God but far away from Him. We can come to God. What can we do? Last part here. What can we do? First of all, we need to recognize our lostness. Only when you recognize you are lost, then you will come. The father said, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus Christ and the parable with the lostness of the, father, of the brother, the older brother, in order to show the dangerous condition here. Why? The younger brother, the youngest son, very easy, he knows he's lost. Therefore, 
He will come to the Father. When you know that you are sick, you will go and seek the doctor. But the older son, he doesn't even know. Therefore, he will not seek the help. And that's even more dangerous. And if you were to tell an older brother, hey, there's some problem in your life, he will feel offended. Hey, I've been here, no? I've been in this church for how long? Jesus Christ, it matters, trying to say, actually, that doesn't matter. It is not your outward, it is your heart. It is your heart. How do you know whether do you have the attitude of an older brother today? How? If you are sitting here, thinking back of your mind, hey, so and so need to hear this message, man. How I wish he's here. If you have that attitude, maybe that's a good hint. You are one of the, you, one of the elder brother. And take note, Jesus Christ have to tell the first part of the story, the younger son, in order to highlight the problems of the older brother. Correct? Because if you don't have the older son, the younger son, uh, if you don't have the younger son, the one that ran away. It's very hard to see the problem of the older son. Correct? So, how to know whether you have the older son's attitude? Look around you. Perhaps God has placed the younger sons in your life. It could be your siblings. It could be your parents. It could be your child. It could be your friends. It could be your churchmate. It could be your colleague. There are some so-called rebels God has placed in your life to highlight to you your anger, to highlight to you your judgmental spirit, to highlight to you your insecurity. Look around. God has already placed. If you still cannot find, very easy, ask your loved one, people close to you. I think they might be most glad to show you the mirror. <laughs> I hope we don't have to go to that. If our heart is tender, just like when I come to the Lord, I say, God, show me. I got very convicted. Many of these signs God show me that I am like the elder brother. And therefore, we need to recognize that we are lost. If not, we will not come. We will not come. Secondly, what to do with our lostness? Respond to the Father's initiating love. Respond to the Father's initiating love. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. The father went out and pleaded with him. Look at this father, beautiful. He took the initiative for both sons. The younger one who ran away, he was there to wait and he was there to welcome. And then when the older son, same thing, refused to go in, he was there to go out, to plead with him. It was the father who takes the initiative. And his initiative is not, again, let me repeat, his initiative is not dependent on the son's repentant heart. Both have not repented when the father reached out to them, particularly the second one. But yet the father went out. Imagine, no? As I was reading this, wow, I really admire this father. How many of you would dare to talk to your father that way. When the father is celebrating and he tells the father, look, my, and many times my sons, sometimes he responds to me in a 
not this kind of rudeness, but just a little bit rude. I'm already ready to go and kapia. I cannot take it because of that rudeness. But this father, he didn't kapia. He went out, he pleaded with the son. He went out, he pleaded with us. There was no judgment, just a gentle words of reminder. What a contrast. It was a loving plea. Loving plea, signs of humility, patience, pleading. He plead with his deadliest enemies. He not only loved the wild, living, free-spirited people, but he also loved the hardened religious people. Remember, it is not I who chose God, but God who chooses me. We will never find God unless He first seeks us. We should remember that He can do so in different ways. To one, He jumped dramatically as He does with the younger son. And we have a strong sense of His love. To the other, He quietly, patiently pleads with us even though we continue to turn away as in the case of the older son. The question is not how am I to find God? But the question is how am I to let myself be found by God? The question is not, how am I to know God? But how am I to let myself be known by God? The question is not, how am I to love God? But how am I to let myself to be loved by God? God is looking into a distance for you and I, trying to find us, longing to bring us home. In all the three parables, we see the initiative of God. He pleads, he embraces, he begs, he urges. Now listen to the father's response to the son. My son. My son. He still call him my son, despite the old elder son's response. You are always with me. He stressed again the intimate relationship. You are always with me. He view his sons with pleasure. He appreciates the, the son's presence. He is always available to this son. All I have is yours. There is no clearer statement of the father's unlimited love for the elder son. He was ready to bless him. It, he didn't love one more than the other. Love both. And he said there, but, but, it's a contrast the son's attitude with himself. But we have to celebrate. Why have to? It's a no-brainer, obvious thing to think, to do to celebrate the return of the younger son. God enjoys a joyous and good celebrations. Home is a place of festivity. Home is a place of party. Home is a place of relaxation. Home is a place where you can just be yourself and be accepted. Can you imagine God throwing a party? How many of you last have a party for yourself? Not many, right? Throw a party for us. And God wants to throw a party to you and I. And God invites us. He not only offers forgiveness and reconciliation and healing, He wants to leave these gifts out as a source of joy and ask everybody, come, celebrate with me. Why? He ended up by saying that your brother was dead, but is alive. He was lost and is found. He's implying, actually, you are equally dead. You need to be alive. You are equally lost. 
you need to be found. Why dead? The, father, the, the younger brother was not dead, the older brother is not dead. Dead means separated, gone, not responsive. Alive means reconciled, responsive. Why lost? Because you are gone. You are, again, far away. Lost, you are now home, as if something back. It's an invitation to the elder brother, are you ready to be alive and be found? I once read this, or heard this quote, I think it's a beautiful quote. It said this, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Because bad people good, the other son would say, I am good enough. But he's saying, I made dead people alive. The father didn't force his love towards both sons. Although God want to heal all our inner darkness. We are free to make our choice whether to stay in the darkness or to step into God's light. God is always there, always ready to give and to forgive, absolutely independent of our responses. God's love does not depend on our repentance or our outer or inner changes. Whether I am a younger son or older son, God's only desire is to bring me home. Would it be good not just to be home but to increase God's joy?
want the response to God's invitation to come home, to receive this Father's love, I invite you to come forward. Say hey. 
our Father, we thank you. Thank you that, Lord, you know that we are lost and you are ever near to reach out to us. Today, Lord, we want just to know your heart, to be loved by you. That, God, we can be so secure in your love that we don't have to control ourselves, but we can surrender our control to you that we don't have to become the judge or the Holy Spirit junior to people around us, but we can just rest and to believe that God, every one of us, are equally lost. We are in need of your love, that we can go and respond with your love. Father, may you love us and help us to be soaked in your love, to be secure in it. And that God, we will reach out to others with a similar kind of love that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for lavishing your love for us. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.